Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 13 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast. This week's interview is with actor Mark Pellegrino, one of the hardest working actors in showbiz and a shrewd political observer to boot. But before that interview, I want to talk a little bit about China, as uh, President Trump might say. Matt Damon's newest movie is The Great Wall. It's a kind of a silly mashup of a little bit of history and a whole lot of CGI monsters. It's also packed with some pro-China moments. It's not too much, but you'll notice it when you watch the movie, and you'll certainly make a mental note of it as things transpire. But, you know, it's not the first film to genuflect to both China and that country's massive movie-going audience. Now, as you know, foreign ticket sales matter more and more these days, and that's why Hollywood is doing what it's doing. It's basically kowtowing to certain markets, and more specifically, China. And of course, that doesn't just occur with adding an extra actor who may be of Asian descent. Things like that are sort of commonplace now, but it's actually much more than that. Movies like 21 and Over, Iron Man 3, and World War Z really evolved their storytelling and actually added different scenes in some situations just to appease that Chinese audience. Now, you could say that's smart marketing, and I agree to a certain extent. Got to know where the tickets are being sold. But it also points to more Hollywood hypocrisy because it's China, and they do a whole lot of censorship and a whole lot of freedom snuffing with some of their policies. If you've never seen A Weiwei, Never never, uh, never Sorry, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's a great documentary about some of the uh, the censorship that goes on with that particular country towards that particular artist. But, uh, you know, what I'm kind of wondering with all the speechifying that we've had from Hollywood of late about this is not American, this isn't humane – they don't seem to say much, if anything, about China and about worshiping China and about appeasing China when it comes to their movie making. Not a peep, not a Matt Damon quote, not anyone out of Hollywood saying, hey, you know, why doesn't China do this better? Why don't they do that better? And frankly, maybe I don't want to be part of a movie that's part of this Chinese propaganda because that's what The Great Wall is to a smaller extent. I mean, there are other examples and frankly, bigger examples, but there are scenes early on in The Great Wall where Matt Damon's character is looking around at the, the efficiency of the Chinese army and the wonder of the Great Wall. It's pretty obvious what the point is, and it's not to move the story along. It's to send a message to the audiences. Now, maybe you could say that's great for Chinese audiences, and that's kind of a rah-rah moment, but you know, these movies are worldwide, obviously, so those messages do go out, and there's a reason they're implanted in the story. So along with all the kind of Oscar speeches we can expect in the coming days, and just to the overall tweets and messages from Hollywood about President Trump and about this policy or that policy, I really would love it if once in a while, if just once, someone comes out and says, you know what, I'm not going to do this project because I don't believe in it. I don't believe in that country's censorship policies, and I'm going to take a stand because I can make my money and my movies elsewhere. So I'm not holding my breath, but I'd love to see that. Now, if anything comes up on this show and you want to find out more about it, specifically with Mark Pellegrino or other topics that are covered here, always go to the show notes. You can find them at hollywoodintoto.com slash the particular guest's name. So in this case, it'd be hollywoodintoto slash Mark hyphen Pellegrino. That's the format for shows from now on. So get a chance. If you're curious about something, if you miss something about the particular show, go there and you can find it. 
Now I want to go to this week's hit tip of the week. Now, I've kind of fallen behind in my movie watching of late. I've just had a lot on my plate, been seeing one too many screenings this week. So haven't been checking out old stuff or even new additions to the Netflix queue or the Amazon Prime lineup. So my apologies. But I was recently asked to star in a uh, podcast, and it was a tech podcast, kind of a geek-friendly show. But the one thing they mentioned to me before I appeared was, hey, we're going to talk about movies that are sort of those sleeper films that maybe people haven't been aware of, aren't sort of talking about regularly. But you know what? They're pretty darn good all the same. So when that was mentioned to me as a theme, one of the first movies that came to my mind was Full Moon and Blue Water. You know, back when I was a uh, video store clerk in the 80s, this was one of those movies I'd watch again and again and again. I just loved it. It never really got much attention then or now, frankly, but it's a solid film with two really good actors in it. It's from 1988. It's called Full Moon and Blue Water. Maybe the title itself was a bit too clunky for mass appeal, but Gene Hackman, the great Gene Hackman, stars as a man who owns a bar off the coast of Texas, and he's a bit despondent. His wife has been missing for quite some time. He doesn't know when or if she'll ever come back, and he just hasn't been the same. He's in a real funk, and you can understand why, but at some point, you do have to move on with your life. And of course, a woman comes along, a new flame, at least potential flame, played by the great Terry Garr. She is trying to kind of lull him out of that sort of despondency he's in. But he's got a lot on his plate, too. He's trying to run this bar. People are swarming to buy the establishment. And also, he's got to take care of his father-in-law, known as the General. And he's played by Burgess Meredith, another kind of quirky, great role for the veteran actor. So this is not the kind of movie that's going to sort of win over any awards. It certainly didn't when it came out in 1988, but it's a really good film. It has a great sense of place, wonderful dialogue. It's quirky. It's funny at times. And of course, anytime Gene Hackman and Terry Garr are on screen, particularly together, it's worth your while. So Full Moon and Blue Water, you know, I don't believe it's on any of these streaming services for free. You might have to kind of pony up and pay for it either on Blu-ray or even just on a streaming sort of video on demand, but check it out. Good stuff. Now it's time for this week's interview. Mark Pellegrino starred out in film playing a character named Frankenstein in the Whoopi Goldberg film Fatal Beauty. Since then, he's become a staple of the small screen, playing the devil himself on Supernatural and appearing on ABC's iconic TV series Lost. He's one of the rare actors who is actually worth getting to know just for their political thinking. He's a smart guy, and I don't think he's the kind of guy who's going to say something without really thinking it through beforehand. And I think as you'll see as the interview unfolds, you really want to kind of check out what he's saying. And even if you don't always agree with it, I think you'll respect it. And also check out his feisty Twitter account at Mark R. Pellegrino. Here's my chat with actor Mark Pellegrino. Well, first of all, uh, I kind of have to ask, just given your schedule and all the work that you do, where, where are we finding you today? Are you between projects? Are just taking a quick break? I know you travel, you work, you're, you're very active. Uh, where, where, how do we catching you right this moment? Secret project in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. Uh-huh. Um, but I am in between episodes on that project at the moment, and back at home in Southern California, which is actually quite rare for me. I've been uh, I've been pretty much all over the world over the last couple of months, so um, so this is a rare moment of rest for me. Gotcha. And is that sort of part of the the working man in Hollywood, where you kind of steal away to, for little home trips now and then when when the schedule lets it happen? Gotcha. I, I know. Looking at your resume, you can think. You know, Mark's Mark's a part of Hollywood, and he's going to be there indefinitely. But I'm sure, as a younger man, you know, with the insecurities of the business, 
you didn't maybe have that sort of sensation. Was there ever sort of a, a sort of a moment earlier in your career where you kind of felt like, hey, I think I'm locked in. I think I, I think I've got this, and I think the industry understands what I can bring to it. Uh, no, I've never had that moment <laughs> in my career, and I've always, I've always felt that at any moment the hammer could come down and, and your career is is over. I, I've I've known too many great actors. Um, who won Academy Awards, actually, who sort of were forgotten by uh-huh. the public and, and by the industry at large. So I've never really taken that for granted. And the older I get, the the, the more concerned I become about that. When I was in mm-hmm. my 20s, I just cared about pursuing my craft. And I didn't even really care about the business that much. I didn't, I didn't follow it. I didn't pursue it. I went to class. I did plays. I was more interested in, in honing, honing the art and craft of acting than I was at, at being a success. It's only been over the last 10 or so years that I started to f- focus down <laughs> and actually pay attention to the business uh-huh. side, of, side of things. Gotcha. You know, you know I can feel the last maybe five, 10 years, maybe even more, we're in the age of the anti-hero and you, you're really good at playing the bad guy in some of the projects you've worked on. You know, the, the villains are always fun, but what do you think it says about our culture where we're kind of gravitating to the, the Walter Whites of the world where a character named Lucifer can have a following in a way that maybe, maybe 20, 30 years ago, it would be a different kind of a following? Yeah, well, we've certainly lost the knack for heroism and um, I, I think our our culture has certainly turned away from um, values that that make uh, the hero possible, and only see and accept those values uh, when when there's an extremely flawed character who sort of swerves into them by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think that in part comes from a rejection of reason. I, I think uh, naturalism and the anti-hero cultural outgrowths of a widespread rejection of reason and an, an embrace of emotionalism as as a means of knowing reality and uh, and I, I, I mean I even though I I tend to like these complex pieces of art that are coming out of Hollywood and I think television is is becoming extraordinary in its own way um, I, I, it must be because I'm a product of that of that culture as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, I see it as a bit of a degeneration for sure. And, uh, and but I think I think there's uh, pockets of, of culture out there where where reason is still sort of the primary means of of seeing the world, and those people are starting to find their way into the culture um, as we speak. I hope. Yeah. You mentioned before about television, and I mean, it truly is a golden age, what we're going through now, and you've worked extensively in TV for a while. What's what's the secret sauce? I mean, you're behind the scenes, you're getting the scripts, you're getting the pitches, and you're a part of these shows. What happened in the last five, ten years where good TV is suddenly great TV? It just seems like it's it's widespread. Every network has it. Streaming channels have it. What do you, What's changed sort of from your perspective, do you think? I think I think you just said it right there. The increase in product. I mean, um, capitalism always does this kind of thing. Capitalism, freedom, create innovation, and and then that just becomes exponentially more innovation. And once we got freed from the the monopoly of you know three networks, um, it was only a matter of time be, 
before the content just became not only overwhelming and there's some some bad stuff in there too, but also spectacular. Mm -hmm. So I blame it on the free market. That's right. <laughs> you got to blame something. Uh, you, you know, just having this kind of conversation with you, I don't think that's the answer that most actors would give me. They might point to different factors and you know, they may have some their rationales as well. Your politics, generally speaking, don't kind of coincide with your peers. And I'm kind of curious, can you take us behind the scenes. Does that factor into anything? I mean, you're a hardworking actor. The gigs keep coming. No one's saying I'm not going to hire him because of the X or Y. But do you discuss politics on the set? Can you have really kind of good, gentlemanly discussions between peers who may disagree with you? What, what's that like these days? Um, actually, it's been pretty fruitful. I think because I don't identify as a conservative, I mm -hmm. identify as a classical liberal. Um, it's a little more difficult for for actors and people in the business to just simply pigeonhole me into an actual Satan role. Um, <laughs> so... Um, that automatically opens them up to a, a more reasoned discussion than they might have with somebody they feel automatically opposed mm -hmm. to. And, um, and because I've been so open, I've always been sort of open about my, my political beliefs on the set, but now I've, I've, become, I've been public with them over the last three or four years. Um, and, and that is likely to open me up to people who don't understand where I'm coming from and to some form of censure by them. I've, I've had a couple of rather intense exchanges with executive producers on very big shows whose philosophical, moral, and governmental premises are very much the opposite of mine, and it didn't go over well. I mean, you can't really have an, an extended uh, conversation about ideas in 140 characters on Twitter. Um, but somebody who's who's apt to have a closed mind to anything outside of their mental map is is going to be more so <laughs> under the circumstances of, of of you know a public forum like that where people are watching, listening, and actually adding in their content as well. So individually, I think I've changed a lot of actors. Actually, I've I've changed a lot of leftists. I don't, I don't like to call left the left liberal anymore. The left is very illiberal. And now, now there's a new term running around called regressive left, which to me is just, you know, more, more of the same. The left turned status many, many decades ago, and and they've fallen away from, from uh, all liberal principles, and, and most especially the source of all principles, like reason. So, so um, I've been able to turn some of those leftists around and, and, and they've, um, they've seen the light of classical liberalism and I think are starting to move towards it. Mm -hmm. When I hear actors talk about politics, I feel like there's two variations. You have like an Angelina Jolie who actually visits the globe and, and checks things out and seems very thoughtful. And even if I don't agree with everything she says, she, I, I kind of appreciate her point of view. It, it's not outlandish. It's it's well-reasoned. And I feel like she's done her homework. And then other celebrities just seem to kind of spout what they've read on the Huffington Post. And I, I kind of want to get your, your thought of that. I mean, I, you're certainly in, in the former camp. Actors are talking out nonstop today about politics. And I I have to wonder what they're doing to their brand where you've got half the country who doesn't agree with them and don't like those lectures. I mean, nothing you've said in the last 10 minutes or so is a lecture. It's just sort of a rational, reasonable opinion. But what about your peers? I mean, what's your take on, on their approach? Because I, 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 I mean, as, as someone who genuinely loves Hollywood and I love the product, I worry there's a disconnect with, with certain stars with what they're up to. There is, but I think, you know, after a certain point in 
time, you're running around in, in a very limited circle, and that circle's sort of an echo chamber, and you're you're pretty much only interested in satisfying that circle, and the rest doesn't matter. I mean, I guess eventually it comes down to a bottom line, to satisfying, you know, half of your, your audience isn't productive on a certain level, but I, I don't think they're so interested in that. I think they're interested in being accepted by their circle of so-called, you know, um, like like-minded folks and 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 that's un- unfortunate look i think i think actors are uniquely hobbled in, in the realm of of politics politics is a philosophical it's a it's a philosophical school and actors are sort of taught from from the cradle of of their of their art to to disavow reason and to to lop the head off in their creative process, so they become feelers, mm-hmm. and 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 that to them is is their barometer of truth. However, they feel about something, it's not it's not very deep, and it's it's certainly it's certainly passionate, and and so <laughs> I think that's what makes them react the way they do. They've been taught to feel, not to think, and they're only interested in satisfying the people that are going to hire hire them and in virtue signaling in front of those people who are going to hire them who are also not really thinkers um so they just appeal to that lowest common denominator of what is the most popular in their world idea at the moment Mm -hmm. have you noticed i mean i don't notice many actors being rebels in the true sense of the word i I find them they can be obnoxious mean-spirited they they're misanthropic uh but that they don't rebel against uh the 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 basic moral tenets that 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 society follows they're they're not the barometer of that Mm-hmm. By any stretch of the imagination, like an Ayn Rand was, for example, they sort of they sort of follow whatever the intellectuals tell them to follow. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned passion before. I want to talk a little bit about sort of your outreach with fans. I, I, I imagine you've done the you've done the Comic Con circuit and a lot of the shows that you do. Sort of a great crossover there. What's first of all? I imagine there's about six different shows that people could refer to you when they see you on the street. What are people most recognizing you for lately? And also talk about your your, your connection with the fans and 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 how you sort of support that in in different ways. Yeah, people most recognize me now for the role of Lucifer mm-hmm. in the show Supernatural. Um, and that particular show has a fan base distinct from all sci-fi horror uh, genre fan bases around. It It is uniquely um, passionate, mm-hmm. uniquely close together, and, and all of us in the cast have bonded with them in a way that I, I don't think um, uh, other actors have with with their fans. Um, we've we've started charities and organizations to help one another one another out, and, that, and that's pretty unique. And I love the social media experience. I love being able to connect with fans directly, interact with them. Of course, I should be writing when I'm actually interacting with fans, but um, I really enjoy the give and take most of the time. Um, and I find it's it's a great platform um to, to spread ideas exponentially mm-hmm. you know so um yeah i feel i feel really privileged to be a part of, of, of a unique and passionate fan base i mean over the past 
three years or so, the Supernatural fan base calls itself the SPN family. And that's, and that's, uh, <laughs> that is sort of what we've become. Gotcha. Is there something, I mean, obviously it, that could be satisfying and it could be great to connect with people. Can that actually help your art? Can can those connections make you a better actor or a different actor? I mean, can can, can you take something away from that that is part of your performances? I think so. I mean, I mean, I, all life experience adds to your performance, and being able to travel around the world and and listen to, talk to, touch people from different cultures um, with different takes on things. Um, with the added experience that we both share something together in, in a television show really does widen your scope for mm-hmm. sure. And, uh, and anything that widens your scope is going to help you as an actor. Gotcha. Let's talk a little bit about the American Capitalist Party. And for those unfamiliar with it, what's what is, what's your best elevator pitch and why do you think it matters today in 2017? <laughs> elevator pitch, that's great. <laughs> uh, well, I think we just, a friend of mine uh, and I noticed uh, a dearth of ideas in the political marketplace. We think that the left and right are basically um, two aspects of the same sort of idea, and we wanted to present an alternative. And the alternative is the American Capitalist Party, which is uh, unapologetically uh, a promoter of individual rights. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And uh, when it comes to... I don't know if that was a good elevator pitch. I think not, not too bad. And I'll, I'll steer people towards the websites where they can kind of dig in deeper into that. But uh, at this point in your career, new scripts come your way. Your, your agent offers you new projects. What's, what's the thing that really kind of excites you? What, what, when it's on your desk, you go, you know what? I want this. I want to pursue this. Or maybe I'm not sort of not as interested as I might have been 10 years ago. Well, you know, I, I sort of, uh, in my age, like uh, consistency. So the idea of being in a show for a long period of time, mm-hmm. um, as long as its values are contrary to mine, uh, turns me on just in and of itself. I very rarely read um, projects that I, I identify with and, and want to do passionately because I think these values need to be in the world. Um, there was one script I read, and I don't even remember the name of of it, unfortunately, um, about a entrepreneur who, who took over uh, the police department in Chicago and completely revamped it. And, and to, to, just because he wanted to get these two criminals who were responsible for uh, harming somebody in his life. And the, the, the content of that, where the businessman was actually good and where he, he deliberately subverted the the machinations of government, which were presented as evil, I thought was really sort of phenomenal. I don't know if the writer intended to write a libertarian type of script, but he did. And that, that's that's been pretty much the only script I've read in the last few years um, that I've really had a burning desire to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, otherwise I have to sort of... <sighs> I, I may have been working for several years now on shows that I've just had a consistent part in, and I really in, enjoy that, and I love the home and the family experience. You know, and I'm 51, so you know, being in a stable sort of environment really appeals to yeah. me. Is that a boring answer? No, that's, that's a true answer, so that's, that's, that's the only answer you can give. Uh, you know, as someone in Hollywood, I think people have a lot of perceptions about what it means to be an, a working actor, and I'm sure some of them are accurate. It's certainly a glamorous position at times. 
what's something about your your workaday routine that people would, might be surprised by? Think, oh, I, I can't imagine. That's weird. I, I didn't think that uh, that Mark would would have to do that, or whether that's sort of part of the process. I mean, it could be it could be as simple as combing your hair a certain way or just sort of a, a ritual you do that gets you on the set. Anything that's sort of, I don't know, I'm just kind of curious about kind of behind the scenes things. Um, well, I mean, acting is, is, uh, <laughs> it's very unglamorous behind the scenes. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's a lot of waiting and, and having to fill up your time, um, in between, you know, uh, intense moments of, of, uh, of work. And I like to fill up that time with um, with study and reading and doing homework on my part, really boring stuff like <laughs> that. Um, but generally, for scenes, I like music. I like I like music, sort of, in, you know, is is that direct gateway to your gut, and I and 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 I and I like that it gives me immediate access to my imagination. So I, I always use music as a means of of sort of uh, finding my way into something um but yeah yeah acting acting is is uh, <laughs> you know it's up at four o'clock in the morning and and you're done shooting at seven o'clock at night and mm-hmm. then you have a few hours of sleep and wake up and do the same thing again it's it's really long 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 hours and often often arduous i mean if, for example I, I have to do a scene pretty soon where i have to take off my shirt uh not not a pleasant thing for a 51 year old and that requires a lot of uh, a lot of discipline and daily work to get myself to a position where I think I won't, you know, frighten people. Uh-huh. Do you have producers? Anyone on the set to say, "Hey, hey, Mark, could you do a couple extra push-ups? You know that scene's coming up. Is that, <laughs> that ever come into play?" Um, well, you know, actors often do pump up before they have to do the, uh-huh. uh, the shirt the shirt thing. Gotcha. <laughs> so I, I've yet to discover that on my own. I'll, I'll see if that's what I have to do when the time comes. Gotcha. Before we let you go, um, this is a question I ask a lot of our guests here on the show, and this kind of segues probably perfectly with your music um, kind of reveal there. What What are you listening to or watching these days that you'd like to recommend? Uh, I, I was I think everyone's always curious about sort of tips on. There's so much content out there. But what What's any albums you're you're kind of enjoying right now, or movies you've seen recently that you can kind of share? Uh-huh. Have you seen that one? No, it's on my list of, to watch, though. That's great. It's, a, it's amazing. John Turturro is, is a genius. Um, he's just amazing in it. Um, uh, and, you know, Stranger Things, I really enjoyed. I've been, getting, I've been trying to catch up on the TV um, more than the movies, although I loved La La Land, and I loved the director uh, uh, for La La Land. His first movie, Whiplash, blew my mind. That's the kind of movie that I think should be out there in the world. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's, it's very inspiring and heroic. You know, those, those movies are heroic. I think um, it's kind of freakish that that's his first and second. I think he may have had another project before then, but that's a, that's a one-two punch that few directors could rival, I think, at this point. Yep, yep. I hope he continues uh, onward and upward. Me too. Well, Mark, before I let you go, um, where can people find you? I'm going to have I'm going to have in the show notes information about the uh, American Capitalist Party and your twi- Twitter feed. But any place else you can steer us to, and also when can you tell us about that super secret project? <laughs> I'll be able to tell you probably in about three weeks or okay. so about that super secret super secret project. Um, yeah, the, the, my most active social media is Twitter, of course, at Mark Bart Pellegrino, and uh, um, 
I have Mark, uh, is it Mark Ross Pella, I think, for my Instagram. Okay. P-E-L-L-E for my Instagram. And the American Capitalist Party is just the AmericanCapitalistParty.com, all one word. Check out the, the uh, policies uh, on, and platform for that. And that's pretty, much, uh, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, thanks again for taking the time to speak to us. We will uh, keep up to date on your shows. And uh, it's a pleasure to speak to you. And I, I really appreciate sort of a, a, a kind of a rational thinking on policy and politics that isn't name calling it's it's refreshing thank you man all right well thanks again for listening don't forget to check out hollywoodandtoto.com for both the show notes and of course the latest entertainment news please follow me at twitter at hollywood and toto and we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at itunes see you next week this year has us all wanting to be healthier and that includes our eye health. But how do you get vision coverage if you're retiring? It's actually pretty easy. VSP, the vision coverage many people get through work, offers individual vision plans. Enroll anytime, on any device, and start using your benefits the same day. You don't need to be an employee to get employee-level vision coverage. Visit vspdirect.com today. That's vspdirect.com. This episode is sponsored by schwans.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.